0: Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you for taking some time to join me and my guest today. Whether you're at the gym, walking the dog, doing dishes, or on your drive, to organic chemistry. Thank you again for taking some time. If you haven't yet shared this podcast with a friend, I would love for you to take one minute and just post it to your Facebook group, your Instagram page, your school's pre-med group Facebook page, wherever you can share the podcast. I would love for you to share it. This week, we have a great guest, someone who is starting medical school at 44 years of age. Someone who dropped out of college his first time through because of other commitments and has now made it back to come and be a physician. Let's go and jump in and say hello to Robert. Robert, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me.
1: Uh, Glad to be here. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Dr. Gray.
0: When did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor?
1: Uh, The doctor question. Um, You know, I think that's kind of, it's, it's a twofold answer because I first always knew I was going to do something in healthcare ever since I was a little kid, because my, my grandmother actually ran a, um, I don't want to call it a boarding home. Basically it's a, you know, was what we would probably currently call a skilled nursing facility. Mm Uh, but I I come from very rural Pennsylvania area. And so this was a very, you know, rural type thing. And so I, I grew up around, you know, elderly people who needed to be cared for. And that was just something all the grandkids did. When we went over to see Graham, we, we, you know, helped out. So I, I, I kind of took to that early, um, you know, out of all the things that you do as a kid, you know, from bailing hay to, you know, riding dirt bikes to whatever. I, I, I really, I liked helping out the, uh, you know, the folks. I, I, I found that very interesting and probably as much because, You know those patients tended to take an interest in me as well, and so they kind of, you know, I I don't want to say they were my friends, but it was like having a bunch of grandparents, right? It was like super awesome as a little kid. Uh, So I knew I wanted to do something in healthcare, Um, but I, I, I've always been the type of person who, uh, you know, we had I briefly touched on this earlier that you know I'm a pragmatist, and this idea of being a doctor always seems so daunting because it's such a long process, Um, and so. I wanted to do something in healthcare. I probably never really decided. At one point in time, I decided I wanted to be a doctor in high school. And when I was told by my guidance counselor, so I, I went to high school in Ohio. And, and so in the Ohio area, we have a thing called uh, Neo-Ucom, which is uh, Northeastern Ohio University's College of Medicine. It's an accelerated program, six-year BSMD program. And so that was something I was interested in. And so my guidance counselor told me, he said, Well, well, you can't play baseball if you're uh if you're gonna do this, right? Because I was, you know, I was the the baseball was my thing in high school and I was gonna play at the collegiate level. And she said, Well, you can't play baseball and do that. I said, Well, why not? And she said, it's just not it's not feasible. The the workload is too much. And mm. so that was that was the time I said, Well, that's just another reason why, you know, being a PA or or something. A PA really was kind of one of the routes I was always interested in. Mm. Um so really, honestly, the deciding I wanted, I absolutely 100% committed to being a doctor when I was uh, probably right about the time I turned 40. So yeah, that... forties.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Get the age out of the way.
1: Right. That's All right.
0: right. 40 years old. Okay. So we we uh, we did a little one-two, skip a few in there. Right. So you are are off to college. Did you play baseball in college?
1: Uh, I ended up actually not playing baseball <laughs> in college either. So, so even you could have I- been a doctor. I I just could have been a doctor. No, I, um, uh, like all uh, well-knowing young men who know everything when they're 18, I got married when I was 18 and found that I had to actually work to support a household. And um, so by the time I was going to college and working 50, 60, 70 hours a week, uh, baseball kind of got kicked to the back burner. It was the one thing that it didn't offer me any money. I was already on a full-ride academic scholarship, Mm -hmm. so uh baseball kind of got pushed to the to the wayside and
0: so uh, you you went to be a PA then and now you're going back to get a doc your MD.
1: Well, no, I, I uh. never <laughs> even made it out. <laughs> so so I, I didn't make it out of the first year of college. I I, I got I, I put my first year of college under my belt and uh it was just becoming so incredibly difficult to go to school and to you know try to you know make a living, support a household. And I was working at one of my, I don't know, two or three jobs at the time. And, uh, you know, like, like all good people, you know, the recruiter walked in and said, Hey, you know, what, you know, why are you killing yourself? You know, what do you really want to do with your life? And I said, well, you know, I, I want to, you know, I'd like to, you know, be a PA or something or, you know, and so I got this feel and, um, actually tried to join the air force. Uh, so I know you're an air force guy. I actually tried to join the air force and they told me that, um, uh, I, I was medically unfit. Um, so mm. to, to, to backtrack one of the, to preface this story, one of the things that, that really got me interested, you know, back in healthcare was when I was 16, I got hit by a drunk driver mm. and, uh, had some pretty serious injuries and, um, you know, spent a, a, at least a full year in, you know, outpatient therapy, you know, trying to get, regain, uh, you know full use of my left hand and and one of the things that had happened was uh, not to be too technical but I had an injury to my right hip and the air force deemed that, that that injury ultimately made me unfit for duty and so I said well you know there goes my big chance you know for all this free college all these things this yeah. recruiter told me were so good <laughs> that's that's awful and and it was kind of a double whammy because um you know I'm fourth generation army and so uh, I had always planned on serving but I you know my my dad was enlisted. My grandpa was enlisted. And I said, look, if you're going to go in the Army, wait until you get a degree and become an officer because the last thing you want to do is go enlisted. Well, um, it couldn't have been maybe a week after that or may, not, maybe it was a few weeks. Who knows? My my memory gets foggy. But uh, the Army recruiter walked in, <laughs> gives me the same spiel. And I said, oh, <laughs> you can save your breath, buddy. Been there, uh, done that. <laughs> yeah, been there, done that. The Air Force already said, you know, good. And he, and, and he said, oh, he said, well, the Army has way lower standards than the Air Force. <laughs> I said, Oh, well, you know, why not? Why not give it a why not give it a shot? So uh, you know, same thing. Kind of went, I I went through the the processing, went up to the MEP station and had my exam. And the army came back with the same finding. Nope, mm-hmm. medically unfit for duty. And I said, Well, you know, you know, too bad, so sad. Well, this this recruiter, thankfully, or maybe unthankfully, was um he was a little more persistent than he said, Oh. <laughs> He said, you know, I get I get, um, you know, these waivers overturned all the time. You need to go back and uh, go back and see the doc who did your surgery on your hip and see if he won't you know, write you a letter saying that, you know, you're capable. Well, you know, as as the fates would have it, this the doctor who had done my hip surgery, you know, um, whatever, a couple of years prior uh, happened to have like formerly been the chief of orthopedics of the Navy. No, oh, nice. And yeah. And so he wrote a letter. Uh, and if I remember correctly, he was like, uh, he, he was a retired flag officer. So he, you know, signed it, you know, as a letter. And I was at, um, in the Army, we have this thing called uh, DEP, the Delayed Entry Program. And so you go like once a month and they kind of teach you military uh, lingo and and try to instill a little bit of military bearing in you before you go. And the first sergeant came in. He said, "He said, you know, he said I, I just got a call, you know, that uh, your your medical waiver's overturned. So they they overturned my medical waiver. Um, you know, I, apparently that was the only other evidence I presented them. So that that uh, doc apparently had enough sway, and and so off I was.
0: Said the right things.
1: Um, I, I said the right things. Yeah. Right? So, very
0: cool. So you joined the army, and and were you able to get into a medical field to Scratch that itch for yourself.
1: Right. A- absolutely. So I I, you know, again, I, I I had to fight for this because when I was at the you know processing station, I, I did did fairly well in my ASVAB. And so uh at the time, I don't know if it was just standard or if I got singled out for it. They they made me take another test called the D Lab, which is the defense language aptitude battery, which kind of tests your capability of learning a foreign language. Hmm. And I did really well on the D lab too. And so they said, well, look, here's the here's the jobs we're offering you. Um, and they wanted me to be like a trilingual interrogator and stuff. I said, no, 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 I I want a medical job. So well, you don't want a medical job, you know? This is a way better job. It's a way more marketable skill, and so I said, look, you know, I I want a medical job. And at least at the time, the army used to be the only service where you could actually pick your job, right? You actually knew what you were doing before you went in. And I said, nope, I want to be you know, I, I want a, I want a medical job. And so, um, I signed up to be a medical laboratory technician and headed off to, uh, headed off You know, I did my basic training and then, and then headed off to Fort Sam. And with the army, with all advanced medical specialties, you have to start out, um, you know, with your basic combat medic training, everybody goes through combat medic training because, uh, you know, when, when conflict breaks out, you know everybody needs to know how to be a medic because there are way more you know there's much higher demand for medics in the field than there are for lab techs or x-ray techs or or whatever. And so everybody goes through basic training, basic uh, combat medic training and and uh and then you go on to your advanced individual training. Uh for me that happened to be the longest IET school that the army offered. It was 62 weeks of initial entry training at Fort Sam Houston. Wow. Um and it was pretty grueling. Um At least two-thirds of my class uh, ended up being reclassed, so they failed out of kilo school. At the time, it was was 91 kilo. Uh, The Army has since changed their classification for uh, medical specialties, but uh, high attrition rate. But one of the reasons I picked this job, going back to the PA uh, route, is that uh, med lab techs in the Army, again, at least at the time, had a really, really um, high rate of once you – got through your uh, initial commitment you could direct commission to PA school right so you you do your 6 years as a as a lab tech and then you you'd go to OCS and then and then the army would send you through PA school uh so again that was that was kind of my thing and it, it was never that i i i had this like yearning to be a PA it just seemed that like you know being a doctor like going through 4 years of medical school and 4 years of college and you know, umpteen years of residency, just, it seems so far away, which, you know, is probably the irony of my life that it took me this long to finally decide, well, I'm just going to go ahead and suck it up and do the whole process. Do you think
0: part of it is, you said you grew up in kind of a rural area in Pennsylvania, just not having exposure to physicians to see people doing it and, and seeing that it's reasonable and people having a life while they're doing it.
1: Right. I mean, you know, there was one doctor within, I don't know, maybe I would say maybe fifty or sixty miles, um, and it, it was a family doc. And uh, particularly, what you know, like what he did seemed uh, not all that interesting to me um, at the time, anyway. And so, you know, just colloquially, again talking with a guidance counselor and stuff, and I said this, you know, well, what, what, what in us? Well, you know, I mean, you know, I grew up. You know, I liked helping my, you know, my grandma out with, with the patients. And so that's uh, something that interests me and, you know, and well, you've got good grades, you know, you've got, you know, a uh, good ACT score, you know, you considered medicine. And I'm like, well, yeah, that sounds like fun. And then, you know, when you find out how long that is and you go, well, what else can I do to do that? You know, so I, I think part of it was maybe um, just steering from guidance counselors um, that, you know, that. They never the idea of the difference between a physician and uh, a physician's assistant or an advanced nurse practitioner was none of those things were ever explained to me, other than the time frame that it took to complete the schooling. Uh, so nobody ever said, "Well, you know, this is what you'll do different as a physician, or this is what you'll do different as an advanced nurse practitioner." And so, um, you know, based on Limited information, which was the length of training. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, well, you know, PA sounds like the best route.
0: Yeah, interesting. Okay, when did you uh, at, at some point go? Okay, I've had enough of this army stuff. I I want to go to medical school.
1: And, you know, that's another thing. I, I I never really had enough of the army stuff. I I love the army. I was, um, you know, I I grew up, like I said, you know, just surrounded by, you know, ex-military guys, you know, my dad and my grandpa always took me down to the VFW. And, um, you know, these, these veterans were like, they were the, you know, they were the Titans in my life, listening to the stories that these guys told. And and I was like, wow, I, you know, that's what I want to do like for the rest of my life, you know? So I had a, an unfortunate incident of field training exercise at Camp Bullis and ended up, uh, with a uh foot injury that sidelined me for a while and it got to the point where um it didn't look like I was gonna be able to, you know, kind of really fully recover from that and 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 have the same kind of physical ability I had before, you know, this, you know, you know, running two miles in 12 minutes and the, the kind of things you need to be master fitness certified. Well, um there was also a very uh, again practical limitation in in that I had I, I really had plans on being a, uh, you know, a, a career service member. And uh, part of it was that I knew, um, again, the medical standards for officers were higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, the medical standard for at the time I was an E4 and the medical standard to pass to the next rank at E5 required me to undergo something in the Army we call PLDC it was a primary leadership and development um, school. And one of the requirements of that school is that you cannot take a modified PT test. So uh, as a brief background for those who are unfamiliar, in, in the Army at least, we you know, we take uh, physical fitness tests. Um, but over time, you know, certain people, you know, you, you get injuries in a line of duty and um, you're able to take modified physical fitness tests sometimes based on that injury. So if you've got a lower extremity injury, you can take uh you can do an alternate event to the 2 mile run so you can do a stationary bike ride or a swim or or you know i, I don't know what what other alternate events they have but that's the, the most common is people with lower extremity injuries because people are always blowing out their knees or or you know doing some type of lower extremity you know trauma in the military and and that doesn't necessarily have to sideline their military career mm. in my case i could not take a modified uh, physical fitness test at PLDC. You had to take an unmodified, so I was basically stuck. I there was no way for me me to advance my career, uh, with the exception of I could undergo at the time what was called a medical evaluation board, which is something I'm sure you're familiar with. But again, you know, just as a background for the listeners, uh, when a you know soldier is injured and there is a uh, question about their fitness for deployability um, there's a process that the military undergoes called a medical evaluation board, and basically one of two things are generally the outcome of that board is one either you're found fit for duty, and that restriction can be removed from your record or you're found not fit for duty and typically retired or you know or you know i I guess you're retired if your rating is thirty percent or more and you're just uh you know honorably discharged from service if it's less than that. Uh, so anyway, I went through, you know, I, I, t- I told my doc, I said, well, you know, I want to go through the, you know, I'm, I'm going to go through the MEB because I, I, I disagree with the findings. I, I think that while this causes me some pain, I think I can, you know, tough it out and make it through. So I, I went through the process and, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time is that the MEB process doesn't solely evaluate the injury in question. They do a full systems evaluation. And throughout that process that they found out I had actually a whole bunch of other stuff going on. So, <clears throat> you know, some autoimmune issues and, uh, you know, just a, a host of other medical issues that even I didn't know that I had going on. And, uh, so ultimately I ended up getting service connected, uh, ratings for, uh, particularly for a bunch of autoimmune issues and, and being medically retired from the military. So, mm. uh, it wasn't even my choice. And, you know, in, in, in retrospect, uh, you know, I, I still, still to this day, if, if I thought that, um, you know, I could have won that MEB, I, you know, I would have loved it. I, I, I loved every minute. Of, I, sh- well, I shouldn't say I loved every minute. There were some minutes I hated <laughs> on active duty, but I, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed serving my country and, and, you know, looking forward. Um, you know, I, I definitely have a, a, a sincere interest in, in working, uh, at the VA, um, it's, it's something I've had a lot of experience with both, both personally, you know, from my own medical issues and from my dad and my, my grandfather, um, you know, and, and friends that have, uh, you know, had both good and bad experiences at the VA. Um, I'm not one of those guys who's totally like, Oh, you know, everything's about the VA is bad or, but I think there's room for improvement. <laughs> the
0: extremes uh, are never right.
1: Right. Uh, you know, so I think there's room for improvement and, um, uh, you know, I, I think as a veteran. Uh, one of the things i I always have appreciated is is when I have a service provider who is also a veteran and understands uh, you know particularly the the tolls that active duty, you know, can take on your body, um there's kind of a rapport that they develop with you. and and it it feels like, okay, I don't have to explain to uh, this individual, you know why? you know, my body is in this kind of condition, you know, it's like, yes, the reason, the reason I have avulsion fractures in my back is because I used to repel out of helicopters. Okay. This is, you know. (laughs) All
0: right. So how long has it been since you were medically discharged, medically separated, medically retired, whatever. And, and now what has that time length been?
1: Uh, It's, it's actually... Uh, over 20 years now. So a long time. uh, Yeah, a long time.
0: So what have you been doing in that interim?
1: (laughs) Lots of things. Um, I think for probably the thing that I want to, you know, reiterate the most, because I, I see a lot of uh, non-trad pre-meds really struggle with this idea that they've been stay-at-home parents and, think, and they think that, well, you know, I was a stay-at-home parent, I didn't do anything, you know, or I, did, I didn't do anything that a medical school might be interested in. And I would say, um, you know, that, that's that been my primary role. You know, I primarily have been a stay-at-home parent. Um, you know, technically, yes, I, you know, I I, I serve as the chief technical officer of, uh, you know, the corporation that my wife is the CEO of and we run. And it's a uh, it's it's been a you know a, a successful venture, but my primary job um has been you know taking care of my kids particularly because my two oldest had asperger's, and so you know when you are raising two special needs get raising kids in general is is you know outrageously time consuming and and uh just you know takes uh you know intellectual stamina that <laughs> some people don't realize how you know just how challenging it is but Uh, I I think when you add special needs kids into that, the dynamic changes even more Mm -hmm. and really just, um, you know, you, you really, it's, it's a full-time dedicated job. And so, you know, I, I've worked technically again, I, you know, I have worked in the tech industry, everything from uh, starting out in hardware, crossing over into software and eventually into uh, FinTech and, and data analytics. Um, but you know, my my primary day to day responsibilities have been, um, you know, getting my 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 two oldest across the finish line and graduated and into college, which was something that uh, from a very early age I was told, you know, to just just kind of accept that they weren't going to be typical mm-hmm. and that a a future that was you know involved going to college and having a career was probably not something I should expect of them, and I just refused to accept that.
0: Why at this point are, are you getting back into this or whatever, however long ago you started to get back into the pre-med game? Why?
1: So this journey started, um, I would say in 2015, really, it really kind of kicked off. And so part of it was that I knew I had a time frame for when, when those two oldest were going to graduate. And, and when they graduated and went off to college, I knew that I was uh, going to do something, you know, full time, you know, not be a parent full time anymore, but, but do something more, uh, you know, career oriented. And, you know, I, I had a lot of things to consider and and there are lots of things that interest me. I'm, I'm, you know, one of those super Renaissance type people who they're just like, like, I love physics. I love astronomy. I love engineering, but with the birth of my third child in 2015, I I ran across a doc who actually had had taken the non-traditional route to medical school. So um, my wife's OB, uh, GYN had actually been an architect prior to uh, becoming a doctor. And I was very surprised to learn that. Um, and I was surprised to learn that because the way she operated, her her manner of being her, I guess if you would call it physicianhood, was so good that I would have never expected she'd done anything in her life other than be a physician. Why do you and, say that? Well, because I guess maybe I, I had I, I had this preconceived notion that you know to be a really good doctor or to be really good at anything, you have to just do that your whole life. You know, from the get go, you have to be if, you, if you're going to be a phenomenal whatever. Auto mechanic, you have to be a phenomenal auto. That's something you got to start out with when you're young. If you have to be, uh, you know, if you're going to be a phenomenal physician, this is something you need to start doing when you were, you know, 25 or 26, when you graduated medical school. Uh, And and I've since actually seen data, you know, actual hard data that suggests that's actually not the truth. Um, one of the great books that I read along this journey was called Moonwalking with Einstein um, and Josh Foyer, who, um, ended up being uh, one of the U.S. memory champions kind of details his journey, how he went from being an average journalist to a U.S. memory champion. And he, he really delves into the learning process. And uh, it's interesting that with pretty much with the exception of surgeons, that actually a lot of physicians peak in their ability just a few years out of residency um, and, and, and don't significantly improve their skill sets. And this is, again, just, you know, Data sets. And of course, this is, you know, overall general, because it's not true for every physician, of course, but uh, in, in general, you're not going to, and, and, and this isn't just with physicians, this is with, with most careers is, um, you know, once you've done something for a few years, you're pretty much, you know, uh, in the groove that you're going to be at, and you're not going to, uh, you know, be significantly better as time goes on. And and so that that was kind of my hang up, I think, prior to one of the reasons why when I when I was considering all these things that I, I might do a physician never crossed my mind because I thought I don't want to do something if I can't be good at it. You know, if, if I can't be truly um, you know, adept at something, I would I wouldn't wanna, you know, I wouldn't wanna pursue that, especially something like healthcare, because I'd been involved in healthcare and I I had seen firsthand what happens when someone's not adept at, at being a healthcare provider i mean it, it leads to very tragic consequences and so was there
0: any concern that it wasn't it, it wasn't just a longevity thing like i'm not going to be doing it long enough to get good at it or was there concern like i am not smart enough to do it
1: certainly i think there was you know there was definitely some some self doubt that you know well i don't know if i can do this or not but um you know i, I I've been fortunate enough in my life to be surrounded by, you know, really positive people, you know, my, my wife and, and friends and, and my parents for the most part of, you know, have never said, Oh, you know, you're, you're biting off more. You can, than you can chew. They've always just said, eh, you know, if anybody can do it, you can do it. So there was maybe some, you know, personal inkling of that, but not a, you know, there definitely, definitely wasn't a lot of external pressure. Like, Oh dude, I don't think you can handle that. You know, when I, when I told the people in my closest circle that I was considering this, you know, everyone just said, oh, yeah, that's great, dude. Yeah, you make a great doctor. So, cool. okay. You know.
0: See you in eight years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? Um, so what was that first step for you to actually get back into this world?
1: Uh, you know, the first step was having a, a, a real, honest, heart-to-heart with my, with my wife mm-hmm. and saying, look, you know, this is... Um, I, I had done a lot of lurking you know, in various forums and Reddit and, you know, SDN and stuff. To, and, you know, certainly, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there. There's, uh, you know, lots of, uh, you know, residents and and medical students and even attendings that have, you know, fallen into this nihilistic worldview that, oh my God, you know, like this is the most awful life anyone could ever choose. And, uh, you know, being a doctor is the seventh seventh circle of Dante's Inferno, you know, and <laughs> And you know so i had i I tried to balance out those negative opinions with the positive opinions, you know you know people said, "Hey, look, you know it, it, yes, it's tough, but it's doable, and if you are diligent about you know managing your time and you set time aside from your, for your family that it doesn't have to destroy your marriage and it doesn't have to destroy your relationship with your kids or with your friends and so the first step really was having a heart to heart with my wife and saying, "Hey, look." There's going to be some hard times ahead. Um, and if that's not something uh, that you think that, you know, we can weather together, then, you know, let's not do this. I can do something that's less taxing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, the first step was getting the green light from her. And like I said, she's been super supportive. Uh, never, you know, she has never really given me any pushback. And and that would be, again, you know, one real piece of advice I would I would put forward to, especially non-trads is that, um, if you really want to do this, uh, maybe it's not impossible to do it without the support of your significant other, but man, it's so much easier when, when that person who you are, you know, most involved with is, is really 100% behind you because there, there are tough times in the process. Um, and, and, and having that person on board with you really makes, it, it makes all the difference in the world for me because I I think that if I hadn't been in that position, I, I probably would have chose at some point in time to discontinue the path if I didn't have uh, such a good support system behind me.
0: Yeah. What was it like to get back into the college world after having gone to college and dropped out many years ago?
1: <laughs> um, well, <clears throat> so it was a little, it was, at first it was super disappointing to me because I had um, prior to deciding to do this, I had kind of on and off went to school, um, you know, when my when my kids were younger. Um, and so I had up till that point, I I had, you know, a good solid three years of college finally under my belt. And I, I needed, you know, about a year's worth of college left to graduate. So I thought, okay, this is cool. I can go to medical school. I'll, I got one year of school, and I'll take this MCAT thing, and I'm off to college, right? I'm I'm off to med school. Um, because, you know, that's what I thought you need a degree and you need to take the MCAT. Right. And then woe, woe is me. I found out that, well, the the prerequisites that you need, unless, unless essentially you, your three years were as a bio major, your prerequisites are going to take you three years to do. So, um, it, I just remember feeling really, really defeated when I realized that I was like, wow, I'm, I'm at least three years away from even starting medical school. Mm -hmm. Uh so w- when I realized that timeline was extended it was it was kind of disheartening and my first semester back was like um you know super uncoordinated it was like the f- the first time you get back on a bicycle after you haven't been on one for a long long time and I was just doing everything wrong uh you know I mean I was making stacks of flashcards and and reading you know reading textbooks and underlining and outlining you know every single you know, I I look at my textbook and I'm like, well, I just pretty much highlighted the whole page. So It was a point.
0: <laughs> it's that meme uh, where the, the person's there with yellow paintbrush, <laughs> painting the whole page.
1: Uh, you know, so I, I, I got an A on my first test in general bio, and I thought, okay, this is cool, I can handle this. And I got a C on my second test, and I thought, okay, I can't handle this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I I I, I kind of. It was at that point in time, really, that really was, you know, a, a big game changer for me was reading that book uh, by Josh Foyer, uh, because I, I realized that if I was going to do this, this just rote memorization route was not going to work. There was mm-hmm. too much information, um, particularly with my limited time schedule because I still had uh, at the time I had three children. Uh, and again still two of them were special needs so a a lot of times my day would consist of i would go to school all day um, come home uh, deal with anything that needed to be dealt with with the business so you know technical aspect you know we've got servers crashing here or there that you know need to be reformatted or whatever needed to be done and then when that was said and done uh, it was sometimes staying up until you know 10 or 11 o'clock at night doing homework with my own kids, doing their homework to make sure that not doing it, but helping them through their homework, uh, you know, to make sure that they were keeping their grades up. And, um, you know, then maybe it's 11 o'clock and I, you know, I promised, you know, my wife along this journey that we'd spend some time together. So we spend half an hour, 45 minutes together, and then it's midnight and then it's time for me to get study. Um, and so there's just too much information, right? You know, uh, I got to be back up at six o'clock the next morning. So if I'm reading every word, I, I can't do it. So uh, if I'm making all these flashcards, I can't do it. So I knew I, I needed a better process and I kind of started doing some research. And then this idea of this, you know, the memory palace and, and these memory tricks and stuff kind of came into play. And so um, early on, I I had to learn to become really adept at, uh, at, at what material I was using. Um and, Probably the other really big thing that happened that, that was a game changer was, um, I had a commute. So my commute was maybe 30, 30 to 40 minutes, uh, one way, you know, each way every day. And again, because of my schedule, um, you know, having to be home at certain times for the kids, um, I, I pretty much had to space my classes out so that I was on campus every day. You know, I couldn't take the late classes because I couldn't afford to be at school late. So, uh, I was commuting every day, and I thought, "Boy, this is a huge time suck. You know, I'm just wasting this time." So, I I put out an ad on Craigslist for someone to uh, who would be willing to read my textbooks for me and read them in and record them. Nice. Uh, and, you know, read PowerPoint slides to read my notes that I had taken in class, uh, and read them into like an MP three format. Upload them to Google Drive so that I could listen to them while I was, um, you know, driving. Yep. Uh, and it was kind of funny because I thought, well, this is such a strange thing. Nobody's going to actually respond to this ad. <laughs> and, and I just got a ton of people that responded and a ton of, of like really, uh, really good people. I actually had a hard time making a decision. Yeah. Um, but, uh, one I mean, guy, did
0: you ever look at, uh, just to, to interrupt you for a second, did you ever look at, um, contacting the publishers of the books to see if they had, um, ADA compliant versions? Typically the books will have ADA compliant versions for, uh people who who need to listen to a, a book.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And and so I had actually I had experimented actually with uh you know some of the automated readers to begin yeah, with. Those aren't very good. Yeah, and they they weren't very good. And so th- honestly the the ADA thing, that's actually news to me. I did I didn't know that. So uh maybe I could have a, yeah maybe I could have saved a whole bunch of money over these years. But uh know that the guy who who um uh reads for me though he's been with me now for going on four years now, and he is you know i mean he's uh he's in advertising actually but he's probably like has like just a ama- he has this amazing background in biology and chemistry now because he's he's spent uh you know four years reading all this stuff um yeah. for me and uh actually plan to continue that relationship through uh <laughs> through medical school uh because i'm i'm gonna have a little bit of a cute- a uh, little bit of a commute for med school as well so um but yeah, so those two things kind of uh you know one, you know, getting rid of this old school mentality that I had grown up with where, you know, you read every page in the book, make flashcards, go back and read the book again. Um, and, and really learning to optimize my time because it wasn't just, you know, the drive. It was also times walking the dog. It was, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I was giving the boys a bath at night, you know, I would I had put, put this stuff on a Bluetooth speaker. You know, and they're just kind of, you know, they want to spend their oblivious time in the bathtub, you know, yep. just kind of playing or whatever. So I'm, you know, I'm listening to a biochem lecture, you yeah, know, or bi- biochem. So, yeah. yeah. So it, I, it, it I listen out. to
0: podcasts all the time like that. <laughs> Every spare second, I have an AirPod in listening to something. And then right. my wife will be like, Ryan, Ryan, are you listening? <laughs> yeah. Hold on. <laughs> just get my attention. I'll stop listening. So, what was the hardest part about being a pre-med and getting to the point now where you have an acceptance?
1: Uh, you know, there's been lots of hard parts. Time management is, is you know, the most critical. I mean, you really, uh, th- there are days when I truly wish, I was like, boy, man, I, I wish the only thing on my plate was school. You know, I mean, what a, uh, you know, What a relief that would be to only have to focus on, you know, getting a good MCAT score, uh, you know, but, um, you know, there as a non-traditional and, and, you know, not all traditional students, you know, I I think there's there's kind of sometimes we have these warring camps where we have, you know, the non-trads versus the trads and (laughs) and 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 some non-trads kind of have this take that every traditional student is. The student who mom and dad are paying for all their college, and they don't have to work a job, and the only thing they have to do is, uh, you know, do their do their schoolwork, and then you know they they pound brews and play Xbox in their free time, and and you know that's the gist of their existence. And and I have lots of uh, non uh, of traditional student friends who who don't fit that mold at all. They you know they they still have to work, and they you know they have lots of uh, other things on their plate. Very mm-hmm. much in in the you know in the vein of traditional students, but. I, I think for all of us, um, you know, the big thing becomes time management because there there are so many um, things that pull us in so many different directions, and and even the things that are, you know, med school admission related that pull us in in directions. Particularly when uh, a lot of times, and I know we had kind of touched on this earlier. You know, um, there seems to be there's there's definitely a lot of Um, conflicting opinions uh, about, you know, how important these ECs are, you know, how important is your time at the food bank or your time with hospice uh, Mm -hmm. compared to your MCAT score compared to your GPA. Um, And, you know, so it's hard to kind of balance that because you're like, well, you know, I want to make sure I'm not short on my ECs. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I don't look like I'm a GPA robot, but- At the same time, I know my GPA has to be at a certain level because statistics are statistics, and you know the median GPA is is what it is. You know, for matriculants, it's what it is, and I I don't even know what it is this cycle, but uh, I think for at least for AMCAS last cycle, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of a three eight for MD schools. So I mean, it's 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 fairly high, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's a it's a pretty steep bell curve, especially when you you know when you look at um, You know, when you get down into the the MSAR stats and you look, you say, well, you know, the median's at, you know, a 3.8, but there's not much deviation between the 10th percentile and the 90th percentile, you know. So, um, managing, trying to find that balance between, you know, not shuttering yourself away from friends and family. Um you know, making sure that, uh, you're still making a living and putting, you know, food on the table, making sure that, uh, your GPA remains high, that you're prepared for the MCAT, that your extracurriculars remain strong. Um, and then trying to stay healthy in the whole process, finding yeah. some time for yourself, right. Mentally you know? and physically. Right. Mentally and physically. Yep. Um, and you know, so, so, so time is the hardest part. I, yeah. I think time, time management skills, uh, if if, if, you, you know, if, if this were like a, you know, a, a video game where you get to pick your upgraded skill when you begin, like what, what skill do you want to upgrade? Uh, upgrade your time management skills because that's going to serve you. I think it's going to give you the most mileage through the process.
0: Yeah. Why do you think you were successful with the application cycle?
1: Uh, man, you know, probably again, support system, um, uh, aside from having, you know, you know, an, an amazing family behind me. Uh, I've been really fortunate to to run into um, some really good mentors along the way. Uh, I had a, a couple of particularly strong mentors that that um, you know really kind of kept me in line mm. and helped me. You know, uh, dot the I's and cross the t's and and make sure that I um, you know was was in the best position that I could be in. And, and, you know, I, I always tell people there, there, there is absolutely, I, I think an element of luck involved. Um, but there's a huge element of preparation involved too. And, and, and luck is kind of where those two things, you know, meet, mm-hmm. um, you know,
0: I like the quote, the the harder I work, the luckier I got.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big motocross fan and, uh, one of the guys who who recently retired, his name was, uh, Trey Kennard racer out of Oklahoma. And, and he always used to say that, you know, uh, luck is where opportunity meets preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the thing is, you know, you have to have to be well-prepared. And, and so big shout out to, uh, my PI at, uh, UT Southwestern who, um, you know, really just has, you know, she, has offered so much support and, and, and provided so much of her personal time through this process that, uh, I, I definitely do not think I would have been as successful if successful at all, uh, without her help, uh, along this way. So, um, you know, finding a good mentor, uh, is a, is a really kind of, I, th- I think key. And that, that doesn't have to be a doctor. I mean, I think that can be, uh, that can be somebody at school, um, you know, it can be a professor. It can be, you know, it might just be your uncle. It might be somebody who, it needs to be, I think, somebody who's familiar with the process. Uh, but having a good mentor, um, you know, leaning on them when you're unsure. And uh, at the same time, you know, being respectful of their time, uh, you know, reciprocating their, um, you know, I guess their, their, cordiality with you, I think maybe because, um, you know, one of the things that, that becomes really tempting to do is when you get an, when you get an awesome mentor, it's like every time you have a question, you're like, I'm just going to ask them, right. I'm just going to text them. I'm just going to, and I think you need to also understand that, you know, they're, they're not, you know, their time is valuable. Their time is extremely valuable. And so you need to be mindful of their time and. And when you do that, I think you you develop a really good relationship with them where they know that you're not going to pester them about everything that's that's, you know, a little nuance. Um and and so that when you do ask them a question, they're 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 okay to, you know, to stop, take time out of their day and and give you a, you know, a thoughtful answer that kind of helps you in the process.
0: For the student listening to this who is 30, 35, 40 years old and questioning whether or not this is something that they should look at getting back into. As as you are embarking on your medical school journey now, what words of wisdom would you have for them?
1: Well, the first thing I would say is, um, you know, you you need to do a kind of a a ruthless self-inventory. You know, and that includes you know, again, am I willing to endure the sacrifices that this is going to take? Um, are my financials in a position that that make this, you know, feasible? As um, you know, if if it's not feasible financially, then uh, you know that doesn't mean it won't always be. But if it's not the right time, then you know that that, especially for a non-trad, is something you really have to, uh, you know, you just can't mince it. It's 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 either there or it's not. Um, again i've i've been uh fortunate to have uh again my you know my wife is smart as a whip and so thankfully she's you know run a successful company for many years has left us in a uh in, in a good financial position i also um was always interested in investing so i started investing you know probably at at a fairly young age you know in my in my twenties i was investing um and had a bit of a stroke of luck because I was also kind of a, an early adopter of cryptocurrency, so I bought into uh, Bitcoin pretty heavily back when it was, you know, worth almost nothing, and so that that kind of paid paid us out fairly well as uh, as well. So you you have to kind of do this inventory, right? You know, am I willing to uh, accept this? You know, what comes along with this? And the other thing is is, is you have to kind of, um, you know, re- really look at where are you at academically from the past, because we all have kind of our, our tarnished uh, academic past. I think most non-trads, you know, have at least, you know, one or two black marks in their past. And, and I, I had actually a really unique situation, uh, which is, you know, kind of uh, brings me to something that, that was uh, amazing about being in Texas. And that is the Academic Fresh Start program that Texas has. And so, wh- when I went through uh, Kilo school in the Army, the Army had kind of a, a deal worked out with George Washington where everybody who completed the program got 60 semester hours of, of college credit from GWU, right? So, I was like, you know, it's time. I was like, well, okay, sounds like a good deal. I got to do it anyway. Why not get half a year's worth of college? Well, however that turned out, uh, it ended up I ended up with transcripts from GWU with basically straight Bs across the board. Now, I graduated third in my kilo class. I was given, you know, duty station of choice. I busted my butt in kilo school and did really well. And so, um, you know, for for the average listener out there, they, you know, if they haven't embarked upon this process, they may think, well, bees, that's pretty good. Well, be, bees are not really good for especially 60 semester hours worth of bees is really bad for medical, for, for you know, a pre-med. And so, that was kind of crushing my GPA. Um, it was... Bringing my otherwise, I I had a four point outside of that, and it was dragging my my GPA down into the three point five range, which is uh, again for you know probably for for most careers and most people, you know three point five is like well that's pretty good, you know that means you got half A's and half B's, you can't really ask for more than that. But um, ad coms ask for more than that, so um,
0: it's still a pretty good GPA.
1: Yeah, it's it's still pretty good, and and to be fair, I you know I applied outside of Texas and and had. Um, I had success at least with the DO schools out of Texas. Um, I, I will say I I had absolute radio silence from all the MCAS schools. So um, I'm kind of a really good um, case example of, you know, how how valuable is the upward trend? Mm-hmm. And so my upward trend was the last... I want to say 121 hours of school or so, were straight A's, including all of my prerequisites, all the organic chemistries, the biochemistries, the physics, straight A's. Uh, The last 10 years of my academic record have been nothing but straight A's. And despite that, my out-of-state GPA was, it actually ended up being right around a 3.6, and my science GPA was on the upwards of a three, eight, five. So, I mean, still fairly reasonable numbers. Um, I had a median MCAT. So it was a five Oh nine, you know, nothing to write home to mom about, but median matriculant MCAT. Um, and I applied to, I think maybe, I want to say maybe 15 of the, um, I would say least competitive MCAT schools. Mm -hmm. And I you know, I, I got nothing but radio silence from all of them, and, sure. and I would, I would but, say that.
0: But here, so, so I want to, I want to cut you off right there, okay? Because you have no clue that it was your stats that you got radio silence because of that. Those are amazing stats that I see plenty of students getting lots of activity from from schools. So right. I, I don't want you to lead the listener astray, going. That's why I didn't get, right? Right. Those are good no. numbers. So was no. it your personal statement? Was it your secondaries? Was it how did you apply late in the cycle? Um, right. So there are so many variables. That you just, you there can't are. play that game. There
1: there are. And and so the reason I, I say I think I'm a, I'm an excellent case study is that um, a lot of those variables um, were controlled for. So I submitted to all three services at the same time, TMDSAS, ACOMAS, and AMCAS. Uh, same personal statement, same extracurriculars. Um, everything was pretty much the same across all three services with the exception of my GPA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in Texas, I had a 4.0. Mm-hmm. Um, and...
0: Because of their academic forgiveness? Be- be-
1: because of... academic yeah, right, academic Fresh start, yep. right? Um, I ended up with, I want to say, 15 invites. I went on... Seven or eight, maybe seven or eight interviews yeah. and five acceptances. Yeah. And so I would say, again, if I had you know thirteen invitations out of the Acomas and the TMDSAS schools, that would say that probably my letters of rec, my personal statement, those things that you know can be contributing factors. Um, they they couldn't have been too bad, right? They they couldn't have been too awful, or I wouldn't have had. Such success with the other services, yep. and so the the one variable that uh, was different for the Amcas was my GPA. Well, and there's so,
0: there's more variables, right? Because secondary essays are are also variables and other. Certainly,
1: stuff. certainly. Yeah. Um. The the I would say one of the things about that too is again, it's a lot of those schools that I applied to um, didn't have secondaries. So, um, um, a lot of those what it, schools it,
0: don't have secondaries?
1: So I think let's see. So I want to say maybe Drexel didn't, I actually have a list set up of uh Sorry. of them because I I I applied to some of them specifically because I didn't have secondaries <laughs> because um I didn't want to go out of Texas. And so this is one of the one of the mitigating or, or one of the I I think confounders as we'll call it um is that uh you know and again I I don't know if this is statistically proven but I I think it's kind of an accepted fact is that Um, Non-Texas schools tend to maybe not look as favorably upon interviewing Texas residents who look like they might stay in Texas just because they know that uh, the cost of tuition in Texas is so low yeah that most texas residents if given an acceptance to a texas md versus an out of state md are will yeah. almost overwhelmingly always choose and the that's texas
0: that you can't measure right you can't right. And, you and can't and go like right. and it's interesting because because you're saying hey the one variable is my mcat gpa potentially at these out of state schools but that may have hurt you that your gpa was so good like your science gpa right. your mcat score was solid that the MD schools out of Texas were like, he's going to get into a Texas school. Let's not bother. Right. Right. It, we'd, it, we'd want to interview him if he wasn't a Texas resident. Right. Um, and so there's, that's, there's just so many variables and, and you mentioned the luck earlier and, and I don't know if I'd call that luck, but that's just, that's part of the game, right? right? It's just part of the game. And so it's interesting that you said, you know, I didn't want to go outside of Texas. Then I would, I would question why you applied anyway.
1: Well, uh, definitely a part of it's the safety net, yeah. you know, I mean, you don't, you don't get this far and not apply broadly because, uh, you, you know, know. Per- yeah, p- particularly at my age. So, you know, I was, I was interviewing at 44 years old, right. Um, not a lot of 40, matter of fact, I was the oldest applicant every, on every interview I went on, I was the oldest applicant. Um, and, and I had, uh, I had. I won't, I don't want to say several, but at least two interviewers that made um, what, what may have kind of been borderline inappropriate age-based comments. <laughs> um, you know, so I was aware of it, but I'm just like, you know, I can't change it. So, you know, I'm not going to stress about it. Um, but so part of it was the safety net. Part of it was actually strategic in the sense that uh, my hope was, that and, and this actually did play out, particularly with um, some of the out-of-state um, uh, Acoma schools, is that I wanted to get as many interviews under my belt as I could, yeah. particularly before I got to the schools that I really was interested in attending, because um, I, I can, you know, tell you from personal experience and from pretty much everyone I've talked to is that. When you start out on the interview trail, no matter how many mock interviews you do or how well prepared you think you are uh there's just something different about sitting in the hot seat yep. and by the time you get to the end of the interview trail, you're kind of an old hand and and you're much more relaxed and it you know it just kind of feels like a conversation like we're having yeah uh but when you first start out, you know particularly if somebody uh if somebody hits you with a response that that you haven't prepared for, you just like you freeze and you're like, oh, I don't even know what to say at this yeah. point in time, and the silence is killing me. And <laughs>
0: that's, that's and so- an interesting tactic because I actually don't recommend students try to do that for one specific reason. I agree that if it works, great, right? Get some practice under your belt, but when when reality doesn't meet expectations, right? We're thrown for a loop, and it 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 can destroy us. And so if you go in going, okay. I'm going to apply to these quote unquote, easy schools that I don't really want to go to, but I'm going to interview there first and and then I'll interview at my top choice school after that. You have no control over number one, uh, that you're going to get an interview. Number two, when you're going to get an interview. And so yeah. I don't want students to to try to play that game. And then all of a sudden, their first interview is their top choice. And then they're even more freaked out.
1: Right, and, and, and absolute, and 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 you are right that absolutely can happen. I I will say this as a as the caveat. I didn't apply to any schools that I wouldn't be willing to go to. Good. Um, and so, for example, my wife said, "Chicago is off limits. We're not living in Chicago." So, um, <laughs> interesting. Okay. You know, there 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 definitely were. Um, there were uh, a lot of Northern schools. Again, you know, my my wife is a Southern girl and she was not interested in snow. Um, so there were a couple of Northern schools that I applied to. And the only reason they were even allowed on the list is because we have family there. Um, so other than that, I, I, um, you know, I, I, I do agree with you. You, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't apply to a school certainly that you wouldn't want to attend. Um, and and I didn't apply to any schools that I didn't want to attend. Uh any of the schools that I applied to, um, you know, I I applied to them, you know, not solely with, oh, I hope I get an interview here or this is my backup school, but like, you know, my thought was, look, if I get accepted here, um, you know, I would go there. I would want to go there. Um, you know, and and there, you know, there were schools that there were schools that I turned down invites to that I'm like, you know man I, I I actually would have really liked to go there but I've already got an acceptance to a school that uh, is a better fit for me at least for me and my family um, so uh don't yeah definitely don't apply to schools that that you wouldn't want to go to um, just because that may be your only acceptance that you get and so uh, you you don't want to do that but um you know certainly I, I I do agree with you that there's there's no control over the process and and part of it is is that my Oh, let's see. One, two, three. The third, my third interview was my top choice school. Mm -hmm. So out of those seven or eight interviews that I did, number three was my top choice school, and so I didn't get all the practice in that I wanted to get. And that top choice school ended up being an awful interview. I was I was woefully unprepared for. I I don't want to say woefully unprepared, but it was the worst. It was the worst of all of my interviews.
0: Yeah, um, and, and, and I I just remembered another another point that uh, I discourage this tactic uh, is because you get practice under your belt, but what don't you get? Well, you don't get I feedback. Mean, yeah, you don't get. You feedback. have no idea how you did, right? And right. so it's impossible to go. Okay, I know where I messed up. I I I know I shouldn't have said this and that. And and maybe you have some. Recollection and and some idea, the majority of students I talk to are like completely blank with their mind, like I have no yeah, idea right. what just happened um, right. so it's it's just really hard tactic but well
1: I, I think the the idea too is that you know we're the worst judges of, of how course. the interview actually went, right, yeah. so we may think it went awful, and it might have went great and and uh, you know as a as a point of note is that that interview that I thought was so awful. Uh, is where I ended up matriculating. So, there you go. <laughs> um, you know, that's, you know, again, so maybe we are the, the worst judge of that. So th- there, you know, I, I do agree with you that, that, you know, this, the uh, you know, the, the idea of applying to multiple schools only or solely for the purpose of trying to get those interviews under your belt is, you know, that's, that's a bad tactic, but, uh, maybe as a fringe benefit towards other, um, you know, goals in the sense that, yes, you know, if if it's a school you want to go to, or, you know, you'd like to me, it doesn't have to be your top choice. Obviously, everybody usually only has one or two top choices. And I would never recommend applying to only one or two schools, because that's, that's probably not a good idea, unless you're, uh, you know, unless you're just a home run candidate for that school. And even then, I don't know that it's a good idea, because it's, you know, the it's, the numbers are so small that get accepted to, you know, even schools that have high acceptance rates, you know, that are maybe 10%, you know, 10% is a, is a pretty small number. Yep. Um, uh, so, you know, you do want to get a lot of, um, you know, the, the mock interviews ahead of time help. And I, I think, you know, wh- one of the things that really helped me too, was I sat down with, um, some of my buddies, this was actually, this was uh, one of the places where, where your, your book came in really handy is because, you know, we don't always know what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And so, when you're sitting down with your buddies, you just say, well, just ask me these questions here, you know, just point them to a page, say, ask me these questions, you know. And, and, you know, particularly you, you know, for me, like I picked out the questions that I thought I w- might have a hard time with. And also the questions that I thought I might, you know, at least in my mind, I thought I kind of had handled Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very interesting, uh, particularly because, you know, it really depends on who's doing your mock interviews, if you're doing them with faculty or whatever, but a lot of the faculty are very, particularly, I, th- I think, again, if you're, if you're non-trad, um, they may be less inclined to, um, you know, give you negative feedback, whereas your buddies are just kind of like, look, dude, I'm going to tell you if you messed up, I'm going to tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Those are good friends. Uh-
1: yeah. Those are the good friends. Right. And, and I remember, um, particularly, you know, sitting in the, in the student union and my buddy asked me one of those questions that, you know, he asked me one of the questions from, you know, from the pre-med playbook m- playbook and, uh, you know, I, I, I rattled off my standard response that I had prepared and he goes, he said, ah, you know, he said, uh, you kind of, you kind of don't really sound sure on that. He said, you know, he said, and, you know, um, he said, you know, Maybe from your worldview, that sounds okay. He said, but from, from my, from my end, it almost, you know, sounded a little, uh, you know, maybe a little tinged, you know, maybe, uh, tinged with a little bit of, you know, racism. And I said, oh, what really? (laughs) You know, like, oh my God, like I would have never thought that, you know, so, um, you know. That's where the feedback part really plays a role, and that's something you, you you know you don't get when you you know when you do the real interviews you don't have feedback until the very end and and even then you don't have feedback because whether you got you know i whether you get accepted or not accepted might not have been anything to do with the interview could have just been that you know everybody else had worse interviews than you or, or or whatever so you know having having some friends that are willing to be ruthless and give you feedback and say nah no nah, bro you you need to work on that um." <laughs> Important. Uh, you know it's, it's it's important. Yeah,
0: good. What does the future hold for you? What do you hope to accomplish?
1: Uh, you know, I, you know, everybody has this this naivete going into you know med school that they think they know that what they want to do or where they want to work. And um, you know, I think one of my secondary questions was, you know, describe your ideal practice. And so my you know my ideal practice would be, um, you know obviously some, uh, you know, s- some, some specialty that leads me to a fellowship in med talks, um, and then a job at the, you know, working at the VA, you know, hopefully with some academic tie. So med talks
0: being medical toxicology,
1: right? Yeah. So okay. medical toxicology, um, I have a particular interest in, um, you know i'm a i'm a obviously i'm a i'm a Gulf era i'm a gulf war era vet mm-hmm. um and so I have lots of buddies that um you know kind of you know are are dealing with um you know the repercussions of their their service in the middle east um you know everything from you know and I, and i don't want to go down a rabbit's hole because you know there's lots of competing theories about whether whether any of this stuff is actually you know legitimate concern you know depleted uranium or You know the exposure from burn pits, and 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 I've seen the gamut. I've seen you know some toxicologists will you know they they'll roll their eyes at you know anything that's not just like settled science. We injected a a, you know a chelating agent into your veins directly, and that's the only toxicology solution we're going to accept. Versus you know some people are just like you know hey you know we we don't know we don't know and we don't understand and and we're still learning. So. Um, with, again, without going too far down the rabbit's hole, I, I have a, a, a real interest in, um, kind of the impact of military presence in, uh, you know, in war areas, you know, particularly in combat zones and not just on the military service members, but also on the civilian populations that we left behind. Because I, th- I think that there are, uh, you know, civilian populations left behind in these Middle Eastern countries that uh, also are suffering from uh, you know the effects of you know conflict. You know, and again, whatever that may have been, you know, uh, you know, I I don't proclaim to know exactly what that is, but something that interests me. What was the causative agent? What what is the causative agent that causes so many people to have uh, you know these issues, both civilian and military, and um you know addressing that i think as part of you know not only my my desire to you know kind of continue to serve my country but also kind of this global citizenry um kind of ideal that that uh, you know has developed as i've got older and realizing that you know you know i love my country i'm i'm deeply patriotic but i you know i also realize that my uh, and duty it doesn't stop at our borders. That you know, I, I have a duty as a as a just as a human being, not as a physician, but just as just as a human being to to other human beings. You know, uh, just because they don't reside in my country doesn't mean I I don't have uh, a duty to use you know whatever skill set that you know I've been you know blessed with or endowed with to you know better other men and women. And so you know. That's where I I would love to see myself, you know, doing something in med talks. And the caveat being is that med talks is not really a full-time specialty. So you got to kind of do something else with med talks. And um, most, most uh, toxicologists are actually emergency medicine doctors by trade. And uh, emergency medicine is kind of hard on the body. <laughs> um, it's not really an ideal specialty for someone who's going to be, you know, 48 graduating medical school. So... Um, I'm, I'm kicking around the idea and, and we'll see there's, you know, medicine in general interests me. Uh, I don't think there's anything, uh, about medicine that I find disinteresting. So, you know, family medicine's interesting. I I like anesthesia. I, I, I was, uh, privileged enough to, to do a week long anesthesia, uh, shadowing stint at, uh, Fort Worth Medical City. And, and that was like super fun. Um, I spent some time shadowing a neurologist. Um, uh, you know, I, I've enjoyed it all. You know, I, I think every every there's you know probably my my biggest grief about this whole process is I'm like, why do I have to just pick one thing? Like I, <laughs> I'd like to do lots of things. <laughs> so, um, you know, wherever it takes me, it takes me. I'm I'm pretty open to the journey at this point in time. But uh, I I'm I'm a chem nerd. You know, I've I've spent three years tutoring organic chemistry, so uh, I I really like any Any part that involves chemistry, so you know uh, anesthesia and nephrology, all of these you know chem heavy things i'm really interested in
0: all right, there you have it. an interesting discussion with Robert about his journey to medical school, and we didn't get into it a bunch uh, we We thought we were going to dive into it, but Robert had a lot of other great stuff to talk about. And so we didn't really dive into the whole MCAT and GPA, and uh, I I pushed back a little bit here and there, Um, but he had some great points uh, about not getting any interviews at out-of-state MD schools, and it's interesting. And and again, that thought came to me of if there's an out-of-state MD school that's like, well, he's a Texas applicant, and he has good stats, he's probably going to get into a Texas school, and he'll probably... Go there, and I just wonder if that is a part of the thought process, I'd have to assume it is right Medical schools want to accept the best and brightest, but they also especially with the new traffic rules this year, medical schools are very, very uh cautious this year with being careful of who they are accepting and making sure they're not under accepting, making sure they're not over accepting because the the way that schools are getting lists and seeing who is going where and everything has changed this year as we're recording this in 2019 so it's changed for the the 2018 to 2019 cycle which is what Robert was a part of so i wonder how much that played a part in his not getting any interviews at out of state schools uh, out of out of texas right md schools but At the end of the day, he had multiple acceptances, could choose where he wanted to go and ultimately made the choice that would fit him and his family. So best of luck to Robert. I hope you got some great information out of this podcast today. If you are interested in getting some great experience outside of the classroom, I encourage you to check out the University of Colorado School of Medicine's Wilderness Medicine Program one that I teach at, uh, I, I go for an hour and a half, two hours and teach all about the application process, the pre-med process, personal statements, etc. You get to go up into the mountains for a week and run around the woods and help treat trauma patients and learn how to do wilderness medicine, if that is something that you can do. You get some shadowing experience, some EMS ride-alongs, tons of great experience, and they also offer scholarships if you qualify you can find out more information by texting the word wild med to 44222 again if you text the word wild med all one word to 44222 i'll get you a link to the university of colorado wilderness medicine course and you can use the promo code mshq to save some money on that course as well All right, I hope you have a great week. I hope this discussion with Robert today was helpful, gave you some great advice, hopefully gave you some motivation if you are an older, non-traditional student, that this is possible, going back to medical school, getting multiple acceptances, and ultimately living the dream that you want to live. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years.